Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back. We've got a show with grit for you today. Our skill topic is sanding, the thing that everyone loves to do. And I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to it. I love sanding. Sanding is the best. What skill class is sanding, PJ? Oh, sanding is a class 40 grit. Oh, yeah. well, that makes sense. A little, a little rough, yeah. But that's not the important part. The important part is what Tom found in his research on sanding. You know what, guys? Uh, Tanda, sidebar. I am just, he calls on me every time first, and I'm never prepared. I never do the homework. I just, I, wh- I, I don't understand why he keeps doing this to me. What's going on? Oh, How did I get here? Uh, Oswald, how, why are you in? Who is this? Uh, It's PJ. Uh, I think they're coming what? back. Who? Tom, where, where did you? Hey, sorry. No, I, uh, sorry. That was weird. I, um, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. So my sanding research, apparently sanding, it wasn't a thing before 1825, uh, simpler times when people didn't care about smoothness, I, apparently, <clears throat> but, uh, sandpaper was invented in 1825 and I tried to look for the patent. I wanted to see the picture of sandpaper. Like, do you just draw a square and put dots on it? Like, what is that? What would that patent drawing look like? Well, if it's like the patents I'm familiar with, it would probably have like close-up detail and talk about all of the facets on each piece of sand and uh, what's necessary to hold it to the paper and go on and on and on extensively. Yeah, it was cool. They apparently they use glass and I think quartz early on for sandpaper, but that's really all I looked up. I mean, I really don't like sanding, and you know what I like less than sanding? Researching about sanding. So, oh come on, that's the best. That's the best, you know. <laughs> PJ, what'd you find out? Well, what I what I found was a uh, was a little conflicting. What you just said, Tom. What I found was mention of sandpaper in a book by Jack Nicholson called *The Operative Mechanic and British Machinist* in 1825. But according to my multiple sources, it wasn't patented until June 14th, 1834, by Isaac Fisher Jr. At least, not in the United States. But it did exist. Uh, I did go a little deeper on my dive here, and according to the interwebs, the first recorded instance of sandpaper was in 13th century China, and it used crushed shells, seeds, and sand, which were bonded to a parchment using natural gum. Now, they didn't say if it was Wrigley's or Hubba Bubba, but, uh, you know, who knows what kind of gum they actually had back in the 13th century. There was another thing that they had was very interesting. It was in the Bible, which I guess is older than 13th century. And it said that Solomon mentioned having a mysterious abrasive called Shamir. And it was used to build his temple without using iron tools. And Shamir was also held in the Hebrew lore as being a magical worm capable of cracking glass when resting on it. I don't don't know what that actually means, but... It sounds like uh, probably should leave that worm alone. Yeah. Well, fortunately, they didn't have a lot of glass around. So. I, I, I don't. I don't know. When? When? That brings up a good question. When was glass invented? That is a good question. Maybe not for this show. 
but I don't know. Maybe you're in our glasserizing skill. We'll talk about that. It's very true. So the only other thing I found that was kind of interesting was what what I assumed was a worldwide standard is actually not worldwide. We measure everything here in the United States in grit, and that is according to CAMI, which is the Coated Abrasive Manufacturers Institute. There's a CAMI scale. So when you're looking for when you you know when we buy something that's 40 grit, that 40 grit is a CAMI reference. But if you buy something over in Europe, you're actually getting grit sized according to the Federation of European Producers of Ava- of Abrasives, or FEPA. Doesn't quite <laughs> roll off the tongue the same way, but it's denoted by a P. So it's not supposed to getting, be smooth. It's sandpaper. Well. I can't argue that. But where we have 40 grit, they'll have P40. That's that's how they denote, like, which, again, doesn't really roll off the tongue. But their, their system is very close but not exact to our system. Like a 40 grit American, a 40 grit cami is equal. It's in between a 36, a P36 and a P40. So it's not, it, it's not an equal trade-off. And hmm. I, I, I like as you go up in scale, like it, it went like an 80 grit is equivalent to an, a P80 to P100. So I don't know, was it P90? They, they didn't really say. P90X? C- could could be uh, NSX? Uh, P90X, I think is. Uh, Isn't that a fighter plane? Yeah, yeah, that's what that is. That's a it's like a yeah. fighter plane that you have to lift a hundred times. <laughs> I thought well, that, that was like one of those uh, World War One, World War Two fighter planes. You know, with the, the, the teeth <laughs> on the front. Exercise program sold in the middle of the night. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't watch like, any of that stuff. It's like tie bow, only less fun. Oh. Well, I I know how to tie a bow. I mean, I've been tying my shoes for a couple decades now. Yeah. The secret is repetition. You have to tie them and then untie them and then stand up and then bend over and tie them and untie them and then stand up. Like That sounds yeah. very repetitious. Uh, it is. It is. In my research on sanding, I found that uh, it's, uh, in some ways, it's, it's easier on vehicles than salting, but it doesn't have the same uh, chemical reaction. So whereas with salting, you, you know, you're actually melting the snow by lowering the, the temperature. And sanding has a completely different mechanism. Sanding just kind of gives you some traction by sitting there on the snow and ice and interacting with your tires. And so I thought that I'm surprised you guys didn't uh, catch on to this because with all the snow out your way. But here in New Mexico, we use a lot more sanding than we use salting, probably because we have a lot of sand here and not much snow. I can see where the confusion came in on this one. Yeah, yeah. and sandpaper, I don't, I don't know... If that's just like the, I think those are the little things they hang up on the signs that say sanding trucks in this area. Those are sanding papers, I think. I'm going to roll with that. I, I don't, I can't really disagree with anything you said. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. So the dealer's corner streak continues. I've got some some goodies for you, but we had a listener send in their deal, 
with a little bit of saltiness directed towards me. Tanda, why don't you give us the business on this? So, so Dave from Shandy Bear and Company Woodworks uh, was sick of PJ bandsaw shaming him because Dave's bandsaw wasn't as big as PJ's. So he scored a junk hunter deal. Dave's family friend gave him a 12-inch Craftsman bandsaw and Delta belt disc sander. The price of the two was just a cutting board. Now Dave doesn't have to be ashamed of his tiny bandsaw. So I'm, I'm going to give a little context to that. No, no, no. I think it, I think it's completely understood. <laughs> so, so Dave, Dave had a little ProTech benchtop bandsaw that he'd bought, and it's the kind where like it's got like three inches of clearance. I had that exact bandsaw, and I warned him. And when he picked it up, he thought it was awesome. And I'm like, dude, I hope you have a bunch of bandsaw blades that came with that because all that thing did was snap blades every time I tried to use I went through probably 20 blades and it came with 20 blades like that's how I got it and it just it just like it, they would last like a couple days and then it would just snap and I told him I said like, you need to get something bigger because the blades are sturdier it's better made I was like you keep that but you're just gonna all your money's gonna go right out the window in blades so that's that's what he's talking about that I was bandsaw shaming him and then he's like this one's slightly better than that one I'm like yeah, it, it's slightly better. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's not a 14-inch, but yeah, it's slightly better. So, yeah, that, that's what he's talking about. I'm just... I mean, 12 inches is still a pretty respectable size. I mean, 14 inches, you're not gaining a whole lot there. Well, here's here's a here's a product idea. Um, you know, bandsaws, the length of the blade makes a big difference because it has time to cool down and you have a lot more teeth running through your material. How about a little mm-hmm. tiny bandsaw, but the blade, like, goes down into the body and then like wraps like a helix around a drum. <laughs> so you have a little tiny bandsaw, but it has like a 160-inch blade. <laughs> I could see your first product coming out, Tanda. I'm looking go. forward to it. I like it. Would that uh, work? I think not, but... I, th- I think you could make such a thing. I think it would work. I don't know what, I don't know what good it would do, but... Uh... No, that's not the, that's not the question. I think you'd need to make some sort of serpentine track. I don't think it wrapping around a drum would be possible. Yeah. Because it would get tangled, but you could do it if you had multiple wheels. Well, no, yeah, I'd have to have to have a track, but you could do a serpentine thing. That would work too. Yeah. We better wrap this up because I'm pretty sure PJ has a dealer's corner and we need at least 30 minutes for that. So PJ, what you got? All right, so I got I got two really awesome deals the this week or actually last week. I got them right after our show. So the first one is called the Delta Deal. And this started in December. There was this guy that put up an ad on Facebook Marketplace and he had a Delta DP500, which is an industrial model drill press. Uh, this is the kind where it's it looks like a bench top, but it doesn't actually have a base. It's got a shoe at the bottom of the column and it bolts right to a table. Uh, now, this one was was very special for several reasons. The three-phase motor that it came with had been removed and had been replaced with a three-quarter horsepower Dayton motor, but it's a farm duty motor, which I didn't know what that was, so I had to look it up. Uh, I grew up on a farm, so I've, I've stepped in some farm duty before. Lots of farm duty. I, I think that's, that's not the same thing, but... 
uh, for, for the sake of the motor, farm duty means extra high torque. So uh, I'm thinking that translates to extra windings on the motor. So it's supposed to have more torque than a normal three horsepower motor. But like I said, it's a Dayton. It's like the second best motor you can get next to a Baldor. And in addition to that, it was mounted to a 30 by 20 machine stand. It came with another Dayton motor that was a third horsepower with a four-speed pulley. And then it came with two additional four-speed pulleys. And then the entire thing was on top of a massive dolly system that was made out of two by fours and like roller skate wheels, like the casters were like roller skates. So it was, it was, it was nice. I mean, I was definitely attracted to it and it was $150. And I'm like, well, that's out of my price range. And in the middle of December, nobody had been buying things. So I didn't have the money for it. So I just like, it just went away. Well, then two weeks ago, it came back up and it had been lowered to $125. And so I said, hmm. I sent a guy a message and I said, hey, would you be interested in a tool trade? I got lots of tools. He goes, um, what do you got? So I told him. He's like, nah, I'm not really interested in those things. I said, well, what are you interested in? Vintage motorcycles. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't have any vintage motorcycles, dude. So it just kind of died. So then I waited and then another week goes by and he drops the price to $115. And I'm like, this guy can't get rid of this drill press. So I asked him, I said, listen, what's your rock bottom price on this? And he goes, my rock bottom is 100 for everything or 75 for the drill, motor, and extra pulleys. And I said, so that, that extra 25 is the table and the dolly? And he said, yeah. I said, would you do 75 including the table? You keep the dolly? And he goes, done. So... 75 bucks, but it gets better, okay? Uh, and by the way, I should point out, this guy's name was Tom. Tommy? No, just Tom. Tom McNichols, you know? <laughs> of course it was. Yeah. Of course it was Tom McNichols. Yeah. But but to keep it in the four-letter regime, it was spelled with two M's. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, T-H-O-M. Oh, there we go. Tom. Yeah. Thom. Yeah. His, name was, his name was Thom. So... I go down there, and he had, he had mentioned to me that the, the drill had a story. And I'm like, so what's the story with this drill? And he said, well, I don't know if you know this, but Rockwell used to manufacture gas meters for homes, like natural gas. And he said, so this, this drill came out of the Rockwell drill factory and went right into the Rockwell gas meter factory and that's where it stayed. And then eventually, you know, the company was sold off and now it's called Census Meters. It's no longer Rockwell. And that's where I work. And they didn't want it anymore. So I took it home. And so this was a Rockwell tool that only lived in a Rockwell factory until this guy had it. So I'm the third person to own it. And so it's like, it's very rare that you know, like the entire prominence of a tool. So that was that was very, very cool. But then I got it home, and my plan all along was never to use it as it was. Uh, I don't want it on a machine table. I don't have the room for a machine table in my shop. So I put the machine table up for sale. It sold in less than 24 hours 
for fifty dollars because it was Boom. a it was a Delta machine table. So the entire thing cost me twenty five bucks, and it's in relatively good condition. There are some things, one or two things that are missing. There was a little tiny bit of damage to the side of the table, but for the most part, it's in good condition. Nice. So I was very happy with that. And then we have one more deal, which was kind of funny to me, which call I'm calling the double angle deal. There was this woman named Chris who put up an ad on Marketplace for two angle grinders. One, all you, there was very little information, but you could tell one was a DeWalt and the other one was a Makita. And it says 40 bucks. But if you read the ad, it says one for 25 or two for 40. And I'm like, okay. So I sent her a message and I said, hey, are you firm on the 40? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, hmm, all right, well, do you have any other tools for sale? And she said, not at the moment, or not that I'm willing to let go. I think that's what she said. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to think about it. So that I waited like 20 minutes. And then I said, uh, well, do you have the handles or the guards for either of these angle grinders? And she said, no, I don't. These were my husband's. I don't do metal work and I have no idea where they would be. And I said, oh, I understand. And then I sent her a sad faced emoji. And then I, and then I waited. And then she goes, well, I guess since it's missing parts, you could have them both for 30. <laughs> I'll be right over. Uh, so I went over and got them. Careful with those. The, yeah. Without the guards and stuff, that's probably what happened to her husband. It's very likely, yeah. yeah. It, it sounded like he wasn't around anymore. Yep, that's that's it. So I, I got two surprises when I got there. The first thing is that the Makita is a variable speed angle grinder, which I don't own. I don't own any variable speed ones. And for some reason in the back of my mind, I remember there's a purpose for variable speed angle grinders. I can't remember what it is, but there's like a thing I read somewhere. It's like, you need one of these for this thing. So now, like that was the one I was going to sell. I was going to keep the DeWalt and sell the Makita, but now I'm kind of like wanting to keep both of them. And one had a wire cup, the other had a wire wheel, and both of them were filled to the brim with cat whiskers, like 40 cat whiskers. And the only thing I can imagine is they'd been sitting there for so long, they must have like outdoor cats, and they were just coming and like scratching their faces on the wire wheels because they weren't being moved. That, that's it. Or, or somebody was using them with a cat whisker wheel. What, what would you use that for? Oh, just, you know, like really light abrading. You know, instead of a wire wheel, you use a cat whisker wheel. and Maybe for tickling in a hurry? It could be, yeah. A roto-tickler? Yeah. And you could use those, uh, you know, those slow speeds also for winding kite string. That's what it was. I knew, I knew it was something. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. Tanda, what is your personal history with sanding? You know, I didn't I didn't do a lot of woodworking growing up other than some in wood shop. All I really remember is that we had this like monster belt sander. And I don't think we had 
you know, like a, a good random orbital sander or little pad sander around. So I can remember doing projects when I was young and trying to get a good finish on them with this giant belt sander, which was good at running projects like digging into the top of a table or a chessboard or something that I had, uh, had made and, you know, totally burning it and gouging it. And so I don't, I, I did do a lot of woodworking until I was in shop and maybe eighth grade. So I don't really have a long history with, uh, with sanding. And I don't, I'm not one to keep like, you know, 300 different levels of sandpaper around or different grits of sandpaper. I sand something till it's, you know, basically smooth. And if I'm buffing or polishing something, I'll have some really high grit and that's it. Kind of the extremes, something that takes off a lot of material and something if I'm finishing plastics or something that needs a really high grit sandpaper. So, yeah, this is nothing to do with sanding the streets like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, we would sprinkle the sand. You cut a hole in the corner of a bag, and you would turn that, that belt sander upside down so that the sand could land on the belt, and then you'd sit in the back of the truck or on the back of the tractor, and as the sand poured out of the corner of the bag, you just, you know, pour it onto the belt, and it would shoot out onto the road. So that was that was how we used that. And it had, I mean, it had a big motor in it. I think it was one of those farm dirty duty motors you were talking about because I could tell that it was like a you know a one horse motor but it was extra farm duty because if you looked at the placard it said it was a 1.5 horse motor how do you have half a horse what kind of farm are you on well a half a horse is is basically you know a horse but it's standing up on its hind legs so it can't pull as hard I think mm. the the more important question is which half was it? It's the front half usually. Yeah. Oh, that's the that's the half that smells less. That wouldn't the farm duty be the other end? Well, the farm duty comes out the other end. Yeah, that's a different kind of farm duty. That's what I figured. And then there's farm the farm duty mortar I was talking about earlier, and then you can actually mix that and hold bricks together with it. Well, I I think we've sufficiently forgot the phrase beat beat a dead horse <laughs> beat a dead horse <laughs> that was supposed to come out much smoother well we beat we we beat half a horse oh let's not beat <laughs> i got it now well before we beat i can't say it what's the joke tom can barely breathe at this point so i can barely breathe tom yeah. why don't you tell us what your personal history with sanding let's not beat a dead horse yeah <clears throat> my personal history, I think my earliest memory is probably doing drywall and sanding drywall because my my father wasn't a drywaller. He just we he knew how to put mud in the hole and and then you just sand it down and and that's how you get by when you're not a professional. And so that was early on. But I would say my most eye-opening experience with sanding if if there ever was one was when I was turning my first pen. Uh, or lathing for for the cool kids out there. Mm. I, uh, I I go to a I go to a in Connecticut. 
you can get a great breakfast sandwich at a gas station. Like that's just, I think that's somewhat regional. I don't think that's available everywhere. Definitely not when we were in Rochester or Illinois, but even a gas station is cracking eggs and making amazing breakfast sandwiches. So anyways, this guy, Mitch, he worked there and he was selling pens that he was turning out of the gas station. And I just talked to him about it. We became friends and I went to his house to turn a pen and his process after you turn the pen, you leave it on the lathe and you spin it up and you run through a, at least a dozen grits, you know, starting with probably 200, but going all the way up to 12,000 grit. And at that point, you're really getting into the polishing zone. But after the 12,000th grit, you then use poli- uh, a polishing compound mm-hmm. and then you and then you put a wax finish on it. Uh, there's a million ways to finish a pen, but that is what he did. It feels really natural still, which I like. Whereas if you do like, um, I think a lot of people do super this, uh, acrylate. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done that because I just like, like super glue is the devil and I just don't want to touch it any more than I have to in my life. But, <laughs> uh, that's more of a plasticky finish. Um, definitely a more durable finish, but it was really cool to go all the way up to 12,000 and it is, I mean, this was wood or it is wood and it's smooth like plastic. Like it's, it's so refined at that, at that level. So that was, that if I, it like opened up my eyes to what sanding really meant and what it really did and how it worked. Uh, now there's not many things in your life that you actually sand beyond 220, but that was really cool to experience that. So that's about it. Uh, I, I avoid sanding. I bought a Festool orbital sander, which was, Honestly, I, I bought it used from the Wood Whisperer Guild group. And after I told the guy I'd buy it and gave him the money, I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Why would I spend, I think I spent 260 bucks on it, which was a deal because they're like 500 bucks new. And I get it. I had a project that I was working on, which required quite a bit of sanding. And it proved itself so quickly. I mean, the... The, the difference between this crazy expensive sander and even like an $80 DeWalt or Bosch sander was incredibly different. I mean, I, I could sand for two hours, turn it off, and my, there is basically no tingle in my hand. And that right there is worth every penny. Mine takes about uh, 30, 37 seconds, I think, to induce that. <laughs> for like three hours? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's so, I, I couldn't believe it. I was a believer after that. And even buying, you know, I've bought a few Festool things, not to do a commercial for Festool here, but I mean, each product that I've got, it just, it, it doesn't make sense until you use it. And something as simple as a sander, like a motor that spins a thing, you just wouldn't think could be better than, than what you've experienced, but it's so much better. It's so much more efficient. The sandpaper is very high quality. Like everything about it is just superior, uh, in my opinion. And I know there are other high quality sanders. Don't don't misunderstand that. Um, but if you're looking to spend the money, I mean, it's it's worth every penny. I think that's true of a lot of tools, you, and you just don't know it yeah. until you've used you know the the top tier tool. Right. I think Festool has that like inherently in its tools because they are so expensive that. You know, even even now, I'm like, why would I buy a $1,500 chop saw? 
and I'm not going to, I really don't need a chop saw. I don't even have one right now other than a little tiny one, but like why, like how could that possibly be worth $1,500? And I bet you if I got it, I'd be like, oh, this is worth every penny. I don't even have to sand the ends. You're being awfully quiet. PJ, what are you, what's your experience with uh, sanding? Well, I mean, my first thought is, I, I got to say, I don't think that I could ever own a tool where the name is abbreviated for festering stool. That just, I don't know, something about that doesn't sit right so, with me. This is a really <laughs> show. <laughs> so, I believe, if, if you know, my memory is terrible, but I believe I have mentioned the salad tongs that I made for Christmas one year. And that was kind of like my intro into woodworking. And it was, I did those off of a, some sort of wood magazine article on how to do it. And I believe in there it said you needed to use a sander. Once you glued together the walnut and the maple parts, they needed to be sanded smooth. So I went out and I bought a DeWalt random orbit sander because that was, I didn't know, at that point, I didn't know anything about name brand. I walked into a store and that was the one I saw. And I'm like, oh, this looks good. I'll just take this. And I still have that sander, and it still works fantastic. And, and even though it looks like the sanders they sell now, like 25 years later, I hear regularly people complain about the new ones breaking, which is kind of odd. But beyond that, like that was the first uh, introduction to sandpaper for me. We, I, didn't, I didn't sand anything when I was – I didn't really build anything out of wood when I was younger – and if I did, it definitely did not get sanded. Like there was no, I don't, I don't remember there being sandpaper when I was growing up for whatever reason. My dad didn't really construct things, so I guess that's probably the reason why. Yeah, my my um my father, we we built plenty of things, fixed plenty of things, but never like woodworking. It was always construction ish things. So you and you just don't sand when you're doing that stuff, right? Right. Yeah, I think it was the same same here. To just to echo that, I remember using emery cloth to sand mm. to sand wood because we had this big roll of emery cloth for doing plumbing repairs and you know cleaning up the ends of copper tubing to sweat pipe together and stuff. <laughs> and that was sandpaper, you know. I mean, it it was abrasive, and so I can remember you know at probably a great expense tearing that off and using it to sand wood because it was what we had around. Right. I I don't even remember emery cloth. Uh, that I don't remember nothing. Like I literally remember nothing. And, but going like bringing us closer to modern time, uh, I have a preference for sandpaper that's cloth backed. And actually, my favorite sandpaper is automotive sandpaper because that stuff. It seems like the grit is almost in like not a gel medium, but it's in like some sort of flexible backing. So it's really sturdy. Uh, most of the time they have like a Velcro backing so you can attach it to something. Like if you if you make a holder, like you can just attach them even though you're using it for not automotive work. And by the way, I've all the automotive sandpaper I use on wood and it works fantastic. It lasts a really long time. But I prefer cloth backed over paper. I don't like paper sandpaper. It just always seems to destroy itself before you're even done with it. Like it's still got usable grit. But it's like there's a hole in the in the middle. And I just, I the don't only like piece that. left is like a triangle that's one inch by two inches long. Yeah, and yeah. it's like impossible to use. So I did, uh, I'd say recently, probably the coolest thing 
for me having to do with sanding is I was at an auction about maybe a year and a half ago, and I was trying to get a hold of this vice that was not really anything special, but the, the auctioneer bundled it with this wooden box, which I didn't know what was in it. And I got, I won it for 20 bucks. I won the bid and it came with these two things. So I got the vice, which I knew what it was. I open up this, this handmade wood box and inside is probably one of the coolest sanders ever. It's a, it's typically called the locomotive sander. It's a skill sander model 323 and it looks like a train. It looks like a bullet train. And I did a little research on this and they applied for the patent on January 5th in 1940, which I find kind of ironic because my birthday is January 5th. 1940. 1940. And uh, they didn't actually get the patent for that until uh, 1942, until February 1942. It took a long time. I guess maybe that was because of the war. But uh, Jimmy DeResta has one of these. If, if you've watched him long enough, you've seen him use it. And they're just really powerful. It's a worm drive saw. I'm not saw. I'm sorry. It's a worm drive sander, but it's made by skill. And it's very, very iconic. I don't know how long they made them for, but I got mine for 10 bucks. And every time I've seen them for sale, it's been a lot, like 150 or more. They're, they're highly sought after, apparently very rare. Uh, and I have, have not used mine because what I want to do is a full restoration on the sander and the box that came in. And like I want to like I want to fix up the sander and then use it to restore the box that obviously whoever owned it custom made this box to hold it, which is it's 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 nice. It's a nice box, but it's kind of been, you know, a little beat up. So is it is is it underpowered? I mean, that's I mean, a, a worm has to be even less than half a horsepower or even a quarter horsepower. Is it is it just one worm or is it like a multi worm? It's actually a colony of worms. Uh, I, th I think if I read the label right, it's like a five thousand worm. Oh, okay. Oh, right. well, that that adds up, I guess. Oh, it's like it's like it's like milliamps. You know, there's like a thousand. Oh yeah, like yeah. so so yeah. worms are kind of like the milliamp equivalent for horses. Right, 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 okay. right, 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 right. Probably yeah. so. It's yeah. it's probably closer to like one dog power instead of like horse. Probably doesn't even get up to horsepower. Okay. P PJ, dog dog power is not a thing. Stop trying to make it a thing. That's not true. There's dog sleds. Those are dog powered. Oh, those are dog powered. You're right. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, I'd like to retract my statement. I mean, it could be like an eight pup. I, I don't know. What? How do those get rated? Why, why would you do that to puppies? That's so cruel. Well, I mean, you know, a full grown dog could be considered a pup if you got a bunch of them. You know, you got to take care of your pups. Yeah. I don't think that. Is that how math? Hey, Oswald. Oswald could probably pull a locomotive with all of his dogs. That dog killer. Well, oh, if he if he had all of them, but they all keep dying. He's only got one at a time, and he's up. To, what was he up to eighty seven? Like he's he he kills dogs faster than like any other person I know. That's, I think he may just lose them. I I didn't tell you guys this, but I talked to him recently. I talked to him. You recently. You talked to Oswald. Well. well, just yeah, not long ago. Uh, it didn't go well. It was very confusing. Yeah. Why were you talking to Oswald? No, no reason. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Our numbers, our numbers in our system. Forget I, forget I, forget I said anything. Yeah. I think his numbers in our system that we use for our podcast. Must be. Yeah. That explains it. 
Well, now I'm confused. Why why were you mentioning his number, Tanda? Oh, isn't it? It's like programmed in. So if we need to call him, then we can call him in in our podcast app that we use for recording the podcast. Wait a minute, Tom. Tom, were you talking to him during the podcast? Uh, no, no, no. During the, no, 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 no. No. Okay. I'm getting a little weird. All right, let's move on. Yeah, no, forget it, forget it. We'll just cut that whole section out. It's no big deal. Yeah. Okay. I, I find sanding on the lathe um, easier. And I think it's just because the material is just doing all the work for you and you just kind of stand there with sandpaper. So I think most of the things... Yeah, just don't sand the ways. It'll throw it out of uh, alignment. If you sand the ways, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think most... Of, I'm thinking of them, the things that I've like done a nice finish on, most of them were turned. And I think that's because you can just be lazy and just kind of stand there, hold the sandpaper. It's like a reverse buffing wheel. Yeah. It's very satisfying. So I'm wondering if you could just make a table that was like an orbital table that you could just, you know, <laughs> vacuum your project to and then just stand there with a sanding block and hold it in different places and have to get the same effect. So it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the things I've been wanting to do is I have... You guys are all familiar with the third sheet sanders, those rectangular sanders that used to be popular a long time ago. Yes. Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of those and I can't sell them. Like nobody will buy them. I, I guess because they don't make them in present day. So people like look at them and like, oh, well, it's old and they don't make them anymore. So they must not be any good, but they work fine. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. And because I have so many, I'm I'm kind of thinking about experimenting about two and a half years ago, I made a bunch of wood boxes. And the problem is when you make the wood box, you know, you glue the bottom and the top on, and then you cut it in half in order to make the hinging point, but it never cuts in half evenly. So you always have to sand each half to make it flat in order to, you know, make it match up to put the hinges on. Well, the only way to do that is to like put sandpaper down on something completely flat like your table saw or a marble slab or something and then just run it back and forth over and over and over until every side is perfectly even which is to me that is the thing I don't like about sanding like I don't mind sanding any other way but that I, I did not like so what I want to do is take one of these third sheet sanders and modify it and basically attach it to let's say a box shell with like a steel plate on top so that it holds the sander, but the steel plate is movable so that when you turn it on, it turns the entire steel plate into a sanding plate and you could just hold the box there and it sands it for you. I like it. Right. Do it. Yeah. That's pretty much, pretty much what I was, where I was going and I was kidding. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. Or you could just, if you've got a bunch of them, you could lash them together and make like a team of sanders and then just be like, come on. And just run them across whatever, you know, you just drive them around the shop over whatever needs to be, you know, smoothed out. Like sanding pups? Yeah. I, I should mention, although this is not technically sanding, a lot of my experience with, uh, <laughs> let's say, smoothness comes from when I was a jeweler. And I used to polish my own stones. I used to get opal and a couple other stones and make cabochons. <laughs> Tom is just losing his mind over here. He's never heard it called that before. Yeah. Oh, PJ polishes his own stones. That's great. Continue. So it's more akin to grinding. <laughs> we use diamond wheels. 
and the diamond wheels are impregnated. So think of like a bench grinder. Oh, they're impregnated. I can't do it. <laughs> you can't impregnate this anything if you're polishing your own stones, BJ. <sighs> Uh, he's just going to cut this part out and record himself alone later. Alone! <laughs> I don't understand what you find so funny, Tom. Uh, huh? Nothing. No, no. You continue with the polishing of your stones. There's a lot of grits involved. <laughs> well played. Anyway, uh, that's where I learned about grits and uh, going up and down. You know, the higher the grit, the finer it is, the better the polish, that kind of thing. And all of that translated to sandpaper when I actually started to do woodworking. So I, I learned how to sand by polishing stones. If that makes sense. It does. It does. That makes sense. Some friends of ours gave me one of the little um, tumblers, like for mm-hmm. doing, you know, jewelry work and for polishing. And it mm-hmm. had some of the different grits of the powder that you put in and into the tumbler and everything. I had no idea how to use it, what it was for. And like most of my experiences growing up, I didn't have a mentor or anyone who knew, you know, what was going on. So I just got gravel out of the driveway, Oh God. you know, put it in there, <laughs> let it run for days and days and days until it made this horrible, stinky sludge. Didn't polish them, you know, you know, and I was just clueless, you know, why it, why it wasn't working and, and why it didn't turn them into nice, smooth stones. And so. Was it completely like powderized by the time you took it out? Well, the, the, the rocks or the gravel were not, not completely pulverized, but they weren't polished really by any means, but there was enough of them mixed in with whatever the, you know, the grit was, which was probably a really fine grit for doing some kind of finish on stones mm-hmm. not really for cutting you know gravel out of the driveway but uh, right. so i think i used the motor and made it into something else so just an interesting side note if you're if you're interesting using one of those units there's two different kinds there's a a roll like basically a rolling can which is a tumbler and there's a vibratory unit which is exactly what it sounds like it just shakes everything back and forth the rolling can version will take off edges because everything is tumbling. So if you have something that has edges that you're trying to preserve, you definitely want to use a vibratory polisher because that will preserve the edges more. But you also want to go through the grits of medium. You don't want to, you don't want to do what Tanda did. Yeah, don't do what I did. Yeah, this was re- this was really nice metal one, not not like the cheesy plastic ones you get at the hobby stores now uh th- th- that by the way doesn't make a difference doesn't make a difference if it's plastic or metal um it, it it literally is whether it's rolling or vibrating those are the only important factors there i've seen really nice ones i've seen really crappy ones they all do the exact same thing like it's not like you can get something to roll better or vibrate better as long as it's running the the real thing is just the motion and the medium that it's in there with well, I just meant that it was, you know, it's probably still around. It didn't crack or break or, you know, fall apart. I've never owned one. I've never had one. I, I know what they are and I know how they're used, but I always did all of that by hand. I never had 
something that like a lot of stones or anything that I needed to to polish that way. Uh, but I was also very – I was doing very specific things. I wasn't like making like little jelly bean stones that you could pick up at like, you know, a roadside diner kind of a deal, which is – that's how I look at those things. Every time you go someplace where they have like, you know – four dozen stones and they're all they all look like jelly beans they all came out of one of those rotary polishers yeah have you guys what about sand blasting do you guys have any experience with that i've got one of the little harbor freight blasters and it's just been a nightmare to use it sand will not keep flowing through it and you're shaking it and and then when you get it flowing okay and you get under your hood and you start doing your part then it stops and it, I haven't had much luck with it, so I'm looking for a cabinet system or something that works better. I, I've never actually been angry enough to blast sand. I mean, I, I might have been a little. I, mean, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, how how is it? How do you get to that point where you're, you're that mad that you're blasting it? Well, it just depends on your frame of mind and and you know what what the sand has done to you. Well, I mean, it's gotten in my toes before, but I just you know I drown it in water, and I figure if you know it's kind of even swap you know you haven't been somewhere where it like gets in your ears and your and your clothes and and every place all over your body it does get everywhere you see we don't have you guys are getting a lot of snow right now mm-hmm. we, we, when we want to go like tobogganing we go down to white sands and just toboggan on the on the white sand and and it it you know kind of gets everywhere well, it sounds to me like that you're you're actually making the sand mad. That's not making you mad. You're having fun. So is the sand blasting you? Mm, no, it just sits there. Just kind of like pale and moonlit looking. But then I don't speak sand. Maybe you should. Then there wouldn't be any arguments. You know, they have their own language. It's called Sanskrit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't speak script, though, so. I used to speak a little. Let alone Sanskrit. I don't, I don't, I don't speak mud script or grass script or, or Sanskrit. Yeah, I can speak it. I just can't write it. It is very tricky to write. I'll, I'll agree with you there, Tom. It, it, to me, I got to be honest, it looks like chicken scratchings, but maybe yeah. the chickens understand it better because they're closer to the ground. Back to back to Tanda's question. Uh, sandblasting sucks unless you have an incredibly massive um, air supply, like a, a giant compressor. I I had a job a while back where I bought the Harbor Freight thing. I don't know what size one. I think it was around a hundred bucks, and I did it. It worked. Like you said, though, it was it was a pain in the butt to use. You had to basically just like open the thing wide open and. And you were wasting tons of medium in that process, but it, it functioned. And I was able to do a small portion of the job. It was a bunch of outdoor antique furniture. It's on my Instagram. Yeah, I think I it was uh, I think it was Jason. I think it was a Fireball Tools video. He's got a huge shot cabinet with shot. Yeah. And I think he's a mix of shot and some other kind of media. But it's a system where there's a valve in the bottom of the cabinet Mm -hmm. and when you release the air the valve drops down and the media flows out of the cabinet into the holding vessel underneath but then when you hit the foot pedal again it closes the valve and starts shooting the media through the hose so it's just constantly recirculating 
and oh, that's cool. doesn't oh, in the cabinet it, itself. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't give off a lot of uh, dust because he well because he's using shot. Yeah, no, I was doing this outside. Uh, it was a big piece of furniture. It was like a a two seater bench, and I I got the job done, but I wasted a ton of of material. And the rest of the project, I ended up taking to a sandblaster. I think it was 450 bucks for it to all get done, which was a steal because I charged the customer. I estimated a little bit more than that for uh, doing it myself. So it worked out, but... When I bought it, I was trying to get mill scale out of like little odd places in this project that this big weldment I had done. And I, I probably should have cleaned the metal up ahead of time, but it was large pieces yeah, it was. I I ended up just going in and doing the muriatic acid and letting it kind of dissolve mm. off and scraping at it and then cleaning up the rust and stuff because after going through about half a bag, it was clear that it was going to be a very painful, long process. Interesting. Yeah, no fun. I, I've never sandblasted anything. I don't. I don't have any beef with them people. The uh, I have a buddy that's done a lot of uh, glass work. A lot of etched glass work using sandblasting and uh, he does some really cool stuff so he gets the vinyl that you can print on the vinyl or cut on the vinyl cutter that's made for doing sandblasting so it's kind of a little bit heavier vinyl and then you can make your template and then sandblast through it and he does a lot of really cool glass features for the casinos and stuff I, I do know that that's how you do the same thing with wood. If you get a vinyl template and you put it on top of wood and you sandblast it, it'll bounce off there and then it'll, it digs down into the wood. It just eats away at the wood. Mm-hmm. That's how you make a relief wood thingies, you know, kind of like lasering. Yep. But without the burning. Without the burning, yeah. Yeah, and it has kind of the same effect too. If you're doing pine or something that has like real soft areas of the grain, hard areas of the grain, you get that kind of neat kind of uh wavy you know you can do a little bit of that with a wire wheel too on wood it'll basically take out that it is it sap wood or it's like between the grain mm-hmm. it'll eat that out and leave a uh leave that cool texture you know tom you've got uh you've got the vinyl cutter you know if you got another sandblasting cabinet you could uh you could do exactly what we're talking about I could. You know, you can get a small sandblasting gun that just hooks up to any compressor and it's just like gravity fed, like a paint gun almost. I haven't. And you can you can get quite a bit done with that. Uh, I think uh, Wood Whisper did a video on, on using one of those for cleaning up the live edge of a of a table. I have one. It worked. I, I got it at an auction. Yeah. It's made by a craftsman and it looks exactly like hmm. a paint gun except it has a really thin needle-like nozzle. Yeah in a box i've never used it i i've used the the tiny tiny version of that so on my laser i do a lot of uh, marking of stainless steel parts like just part numbers for aerospace parts or not a lot but i've done a fair amount through the years i discovered a great way of putting down the marking compound was with my airbrush and uh, hmm. and it worked great until i realized that the marking compound is like this really abrasive um, like ceramic particles, that's oh, what. No. That's basically what you're bonding. You're basically oh, have man. this solution with a glass frit in it that you're putting on the surface of the stainless, and then the laser kind of laser centers it or fires it, if you will, onto the surface. 
And so it was working great. I did like a couple projects and then I had another stainless project and it just couldn't get it to work. I couldn't get it adjusted. <laughs> it was just wasn't working at all. So I finally held the tip of my airbrush under a microscope and the needle was just completely eroded. The tip of the, you know, the the tip of Destroyed. the airbrush looked like a rusty pipe that had been sitting out for years. It just completely uh, ground away the end of the airbrush. It wasn't an expensive airbrush, but uh, it was pretty obvious once I looked at it under the microscope why it wasn't working. <laughs> That'll do it. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff. Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Have you got a problem with spills in your shop? Oil, pet stains, little bit of spilled paint? Well, we have just the thing for you, an orbital sander. This unique specialty tool will orbit around your shop looking for stains and spills, and it will drop some sand right on them to absorb it. And who doesn't want a tool hovering around their workshop? Now, you may have to be careful if you're one of those sweaty ones, especially if you have plumber's crack, because sometimes things can go awry. This fine tool also has Bluetooth tool locating. If you have the app attached, you can type in any tool and the orbital sander will go and find it and drop a little bit of sand on it so you know right where it's at. This is available now at Johnson's Hardware for just $5.99. That's right, $599 will get you the orbital sander and then the loading sand attachment is another $37. Come visit us at Johnson's Hardware. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with sanding? You know, I've said this before. I've used this one before, but patiencing is definitely the skill that it goes with. You need you need lots of patiencing. Uh, if if that doesn't fly, I mean finishing. That's the easy that's the easy bet, right? Mm-hmm. It's a huge part of finishing, and uh, you know you you sand in between layers of finish, and the only time you don't sand is like the last time that you put finish on. So it is it is more than half of the finishing job. So that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. But, but do you ever know when you're finished? No, it's never finished. I can never figure it out. That That's actually one of the hardest things for me is figuring out when the sandpaper is finished. I, 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 I keep using it until it, like I'm curious, like, is this actually still working? And then I run my hand over it, and I'm like, oh, no, this is garbage. Oh, but ter- maybe, maybe turn it over. Just turn it over and use the other side. And if you can't tell the difference, then it's probably, it's probably time to get a new sheet. Right, right. I will say this, I'm, I'm certainly no expert at all, but feeling the work as you're going will tell you when that next round is done. Because if you don't feel it before you start sanding or before you start sanding with the next grit, you'll have no frame of reference. So if you if you just pay attention to each layer and feel each layer as you go, it'll give you a big indication. And when you think it's done, do it for 10 more minutes before you move on. So on, on that note... Uh, I have done that in the past, and it has led me astray. <laughs> Something terrible. So m- my new method, which is not a new method by any means, a lot of people do this. I put pencil over top of the area 
and until that pencil is all gone, I keep sanding. So that way you know that everywhere you've got pencil hasn't been sanded, and it doesn't matter what grit it is, it, 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 the sandpaper is going to take it off no matter what. Even if, you're, even if you're at 600 grit, if you put pencil on, that 600 grit will take off pencil. So. Oh, yeah. And the great thing about it is if you put pencils on your work and then you start sanding, you know when you get to the graphite that you're halfway through. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That, that you, you don't have much longer to go. Right. Uh, so, Tanda, what skill goes well with sanding? I would have to say, uh, you know, and because Tom didn't say this, I think design. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> How does design go with sanding? I think design goes with well with sanding because I think uh, distraction goes well with sanding. I think it's one of those things that you should treat as a as an activity, kind of a, like a meditation activity. So when you start sanding something, especially if it's a big piece, in your mind you should start designing something else or thinking through some problem <laughs> so that sanding just kind of becomes a meditation exercise and you're not rushing it. I have to do that or I'll just say this is good enough and stop. But if I start doing some sanding and finishing on a part and start thinking about designing something else and just let my mind go there, then I'll spend enough time sanding. I'd like to change my answer to podcast listening. I think podcast listening is the skill that blends well with sanding. Really long podcasts are are preferred. Sorry, that 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 is not acceptable, Tom. We're going to have to go with your first answer. Oh. Oh, patiencing? Sorry about that. So you could start start with like a 40, 40 grit, start yeah. with a 40 grit, and then do uh, like two podcasts. Work your yeah. way through two yep. podcasts. Exactly. Oh, God. Well, since Tanda stole my answer, I'm going to have to steal her answer. <laughs> I'm going to say that the, the skill that goes well with sanding is driving, because you got to drive that truck carefully while it's spreading all the sand all over the road. <laughs> yes. You know, you don't want to hit yes. anybody. Because then you're going to spill all the sand and it's going to make like a big pile. So, yeah, you got to be a good driver. That's my answer. Driving is an underrated skill. Who do you blame if you slip off the road while you're driving the the sanding truck? Why aren't the sanders in the front of the truck? That's what I want to know. Why are they in the back of the truck? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they should drive backwards. They should drive backwards. Maybe they're farm duty and it's in the rear end. Could be. (laughs) Could be. I'm sick and tired of this bull pocket. So today we're going to talk about something that everyone has to deal with if you're online. And I know it it, it irritates me. It, I'm going to call them counterfeit ads. And we've all seen them. If you look close enough, it's always advertising some tool or item that is made by a well-known company but if you look at the website that's selling it, it's not that company that's selling it. And if, if you're not paying close attention, I mean, it seems like it's a good deal because it's almost always half the price. But it never, what you get is not what's being shown. And I'll tell you what I'm talking about specifically because it happened just before we got on the podcast. I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw uh, Arbortech makes this little ball gouge attachment. It basically just looks like a ball with like a hula hoop on it. And it's for carving out, you know, I don't know, ball shapes. But I'm looking at this and like right on the tool, it says Arbortech. But then if you look at the website selling it, it was like 
MumbaiMatumbo.com. Like it sounded like some Indian name, like it was made in Mumbai or, you know, like something like that. I'm like, uh, yeah, this, 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 is there a scam or you're going to get like a box of nuts or something? And so I immediately sent it to Paul Jackman because he's sponsored by Arbitech. And I'm like, uh, have you seen this? <laughs> and he goes, oh, wow, what a load of garbage. And apparently he actually went further than me and looked up their website. And what he said was the thread count for the tool, according to him, wouldn't even fit on an angle grinder, which is what it's supposed to be attached to. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we've all seen these things and it, I don't say it's irritated, but I am kind of sick and tired of seeing them. What, what about, what about you, Tanda? What have you seen? Well, I think the, the ones recently where they've ripped off makers are, are, are just really blatant. You know, um, if you're familiar with Bernie works by solo and then more recently, um, Jocko's, um, screwdriver, kinetic driver, the kinetic driver, um, where they've just basically taken, I think the the worst thing is they've not only knocked off the product, but they've stolen the media. Yeah. The the ad, the name, just like you were saying with the uh, ArborTech, in the one that was ripping off Bernie, they they used his video right down to even his logo on the on the product and in their their product they didn't have it but in the video they showed his hand with his you know with solo on the side of it and mm -hmm. uh, and it's just blatant and i was kind of giggling as you were reading yours off because i was thinking that it might be fun to uh to try and make a really good ad for a really silly product a maker product and uh and see Ooh. with the goal of trying to get some Chinese company to start making it <laughs> with no, brilliant. with no other goal than to see if you can get someone to knock it off, get a whole bunch of, you, you get a bunch of makers together to like start creating some, you know, artificial buzz around it. Like it's the the next best thing and see if we can lure someone into making a knockoff of our, uh, I bet. of our silly product. Did Bernie do a Kickstarter for no. that? I can't remember. He didn't. He, he just made them. He just made them and sold yeah, a few of them. He did like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm wondering, you you might have to do something even bigger like a Kickstarter to get their attention, but Bernie didn't. That's crazy. No, he just. That's a great idea. It just got a lot of social media play, I think, but. I think, I think next podcast, we need to do a segment on creating that item. I think we could come up with something. I think we Live. just might. I think it'd, I think it'd be fun to see if we could get someone really to, fun. and then and then we could buy what? one. Then we wouldn't even have to make it. We could just <laughs> yeah. buy, we could just buy one <laughs> for half the price it would have cost us to make them. <laughs> Here's what we do: we 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 come up with the thing, and then we 3D model it and superimpose it into the video like it's actually already made, and yeah. then have them make it based off what they see. <laughs> This is this is a great yeah. idea. Or 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 just make or just paint something up, you know, just make like a yeah. not a non-functional prototype but talk about all of its really cool features. If you watched Jocko's video talking about the knockoff, he bought a knockoff and it's it's quite terrible. I almost I was going to I mentioned this before to you guys uh before the podcast, but I was going to buy the knockoff just to like experience what that looks like. Uh, I did order, in my defense, I did order Jocko's kinetic driver, so that was staying. But I wanted to see how bad this thing, like, how could you screw this up? 
And they did. I mean, it's really bad. If you go watch his video, they really screwed it up. But what I found was, that was most interesting is he didn't really attack the fact that they were making the item. What he was able to do was attack the fact that they used his photos and was able to get the websites taken down based on them stealing his copyrighted media. material yeah. media right yeah. Yeah. yeah which which from what i understand i used to follow this uh, cigar enthusiast that was also a, he got into the youtube world because he was a photographer and he also was a cigar enthusiast and he does a ton of cigar photography not only for his own channel but just in general and and has clients that pay him for this and he has a lawyer like i think there's a service you can just higher that constantly scans the interweb for your photos and when they find them they sue and you get a settlement check like the guy makes more money doing that than he does on youtube yeah there that is a service there there is a i can't remember the name of the company but there is a i know it's specific uh the reference point that i had was for photographers there is a association Mm -hmm. for photographers like a it's almost like a photographer's union and they constantly scan the internet for any photographs that are um, copywritten. And if they find them, then they immediately just go, just like what you said, they, they just go to yeah, town. Yeah, cease and desist. And, yeah. yeah. Or, or you could just, uh, you could start going after people who are knocking, who are ripping people off and, uh, and just demand a settlement. Even though you had nothing to do with the, uh, <laughs> like the, like the patent troll, patent trolls where they're yeah. just, uh, um, finding patents that aren't aren't used, and, and then going after people who are making similar products. Yeah, that infringe on a patent that they don't even really, or maybe they bought it really cheap, and it's you know they bought a similar patent really cheap, and then they start right. going after people who are infringing on their patent that they, you know. What's what's the time limit on patents? Isn't it like ten years? Mm, I think it depends on. I think it's like seventeen. But oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I, I, different types of patents I think have longer, whether it's a design patent or a functional patent, or if it's like drug patents, I think have a little bit of an extension because it takes so long before they're on the market. But I haven't looked into that in many years. I've never looked into it. All right, we're putting Tom to sleep. Uh, we, we we need to move on to something else. <laughs> I did just yawn. Sidebar, Tanda. I, yeah. I don't. I don't think that Tom took his nap before he actually got on the podcast. He's been pounding Red Bulls ever since we started. Are those Red Bulls? I think so. Yeah. I thought that was like JD. Oh, a little can or something. You know, because he's like snoozing away over there. I don't drink alcohol, so I'm not familiar with the what the cans of Jack Daniels look like. I didn't know they came in cans. I thought they were only like little bottles. I don't know if they do here. They do overseas. Oh. 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 Uh, he just. He, he's waking up, uh, Tom. Tom, yeah, we're yeah, we're, yep. st- we're still talking about the things that are irritating us. Are, are you? Do you got anything else? Oh, sorry. No. Well, I just no. It was a good time. That I'm glad you guys took a break because I just had to go get a, a refill on my bottle of Zequil. Oh, okay. Are you not feeling too good? No, Zequil. It just puts you to sleep. It's not for med- It's not medication. Why? Why are you drinking Zequil while we're on the podcast? Well, it's a fun. I, I like to drink Zequil and see if I can stay awake as long as possible. It's just, it's something fun I do. We need to talk about your hobbies offline, Tom. So, th- Okay. Th- that's- yeah. I thought that's what we do here is talk about my hobbies. I, maybe I'm 
missing, confused. <sighs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, I I don't know. I I think the the thing to take away from this is. If you're on any sort of social media network and you see an ad for a company or an ad for anything, make sure that that's the real company selling it and not some knockoff company. That's that's what you should take away because most of the time they're stealing that stuff from the people that make it and you're basically throwing your money away unless you just right. want something that is going to disappoint you. more what I came from. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tanda, you got anything you want to wrap up the show with? No. All right, that was short and sweet. Tom, you got anything you want to wrap up the show with? Oh, I want to say no so bad right now. <clears throat> yeah, uh, if you go to Klingspore, their website, and look up, I'm not sure what words you'll have to use, maybe just type in pounds of sandpaper, and you will find a 10-pound box of sandpaper cutoffs i'm not sure what they call them but it's like the end of the run where like there's 12 feet of sandpaper that they can't turn into a belt or something and you can buy i have it right here that you can't see but i'm pointing at and i've i think i've bought them three times and there's some of it is not really that great and usable because it's it's actually really high-end sandpaper like really thick sandpaper for maybe um maybe a drum sander and it's just so inflexible if that's a word i think that's a word that it's not very good to use but there is a lot of variety within that box uh and it's super cheap i should have looked that up but maybe pj can go and i'll come back to you with the price i i've bought that box uh well the one that i've bought is the adhesive sandpaper so it doesn't actually matter like how long it is what i use that for is i put it on I've got these press board sheets, uh, like the kind of stuff they make pegboard out of. Mm -hmm. And I use that for, if I, like like I was talking about, like sanding. If you're going to sand something, you want to clamp it down to like a flat surface. You can put several of those sheets on there and make one giant sanding sheet for if you're like sanding a box or something. And it, it is super cheap. I think it was like 15 bucks for a box or something like that. It was it might even be 12. I think I might have got it on sale. But it's it's like next to nothing compared to like if you had to buy all those things individually. Yeah, so I found it. Coarse sandpaper remnants, 10 pounds, is marked down from 25 bucks to $6.49. And I bet you, you can find a free shipping coupon somewhere. And then the other boxes are marked down to $14. So that was coarse. This one is medium sandpaper remnants. The other one is fine sandpaper remnants. But there's a variety in each box. But it's a good deal. Honestly, if you have, like, no sandpaper, just buy one of these so that you have something. It is a good deal. Uh, as for me, uh, I'm going to talk about something that just kind of hit me this morning, which is, I'm not going to give away his name, but I have a friend of mine that had moved to Pennsylvania uh, about a year and a half ago. He doesn't listen to this podcast. But he had this great story he wanted to tell me. So he woke me up this morning. He bought a house in a, in a town that's about 20 minutes away from me, and not necessarily the best town, but he bought a row house for $15,000, okay? It's like next to nothing. It's like a car. And apparently his next-door neighbor had an electrical fire with an electric blanket, and it was an old man Ooh. who was apparently an alcoholic, and I guess he was drunk when it happened, and he thought he could put the fire out, and he couldn't, and so the fire spread, and my friend 
call the fire department, you know, call 911. He's like, yeah, my place is on fire. Come put it out. And so they did. And there's there's like very little actual damage to his house. But the other guy's house is like completely totaled. So he is one of these kind of paranoid people. He's got like the best insurance you can get. And apparently because he had video footage showing that the fire started at the house next to his, it didn't start at his house, and he called 911, the insurance company gave him <laughs> probably the best settlement I've ever heard. He, he had uh, like very little actually got damaged inside the house, but they compensated him for the entire house and the contents of the house with depreciation. The short version is, for his $15,000 investment, they cut him a check for $174,000. Wow. And he's like, the only thing that got wrecked was my laptop, and the front of the house looks like a grilled burger. <laughs> so, so it's just like, it was just like, and this happened uh, December 30th, so right before New Year's. And I was just like, wow, that is just, and he was, he was over the moon. He's like, oh, this is the best. I'm going to fix up this house. I'm going to fix up two other properties I have. And, and oh, and uh, the other thing I forgot to mention, because the house next to his was totaled, he talked to the landlord and he's like, listen, I, I don't want you rebuilding the house over there because I don't want anybody else burning down my house. I want to buy the lot. And the guy's like, yeah, sure, you can have it. So he's buying the lot that's next to his house. So now he actually can make like a driveway and put in like a big shed or whatever he wants uh, instead of there being a house next to him. Because it's, you know how row houses are. It's basically like just one long building on a street. So that that was that was like quite a story. I don't know. That was on my mind. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. And now for some nonsense. All right. We've got a hot topic today. Something that I think is on everyone's mind. What's actually going on with the Postal Service and all the packages that we've been waiting for since last year? Because there's stuff that still has not been delivered. And there's a lot of there's a lot of things floating around as far as what's actually going on. Like, for instance, there's not enough postal workers because of COVID, which could be believable. But I don't think so. Tanda, what do you think? It just doesn't add up. I don't think it's just a shortage of postal workers because I told you the story about the T-shirt, and now I've had a couple of other packages go missing. And so I started investigating it a little bit, and I found that they're actually taking the packages to remote sites, and they're analyzing them to find out more about us by what we buy.
that that's what I heard too. But uh, you know, it, it it goes a little out there. But what I've heard, it's not um, it's not the government or anybody that's analyzing this stuff. They're uh, they're not from around here. If you, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. No. Yeah. To put it lightly, I mean they're not even. You mean like from, from Albuquerque or something? Well, there may be some of them in Albuquerque, but they didn't come from here. Yeah. Yeah. They uh. They're from out of town, Tom. You know, you know what we're talking about. Way out of town. I don't get it. You're from out of town. I'm from out of your town. Aliens, Tom. We're talking about aliens. They've stopped abducting cows, oh. and they're taking our mail now. Aliens aren't real. Then where's the mail going? Uh, the post office. No, it's not at the post office. That's why we're not getting it. If it was at the post office, we could pick it up. Well, not your post office, but somebody's post office. Yeah, yeah, the post office on Mars. That's what we're trying to tell you. They're they're taking it off planet. There's no post office on Mars. Well, they might not call it a post office there. It's probably got some other name, but they're... Th- well, that's true, but also there's no post office on Mars. Well, you could try to send something there. Well, they're, they're, they may not be taking it all there. I mean, some of it, they have outposts here. Well, I mean, maybe not where you guys are, but out here where it's wide open... They have like underground outposts where they're doing things to our packages. Do you guys, I mean, you may not be old enough. Do you remember Fiddle Faddles? Yeah. The snack? Yeah. Fiddle. Yeah. They're, it's like a, kind of like a popcorn candy. And I discovered you could still get it. And so I ordered like a whole box of Fiddle Faddles. And I was so upset when it couldn't come. You know, you get this message saying it's out for delivery out for delivery it doesn't show up your neighbors haven't seen it it's not on the porch and so I started tracking it and uh, by tracking it I don't mean just going into the website Um, I meant like I went to the company I asked what day it left I used Google Maps I started asking questions I started following this package (sighs) This is hard to say, but I found it. I found it out in the middle of the New Mexico desert, and so uh, and it it wasn't it wasn't pretty. So I don't know if you guys have heard of the fiddle faddle mutilations, but um, yeah, there there are definitely some some faddle mutilations going on out in the New Mexico desert. Did you take it? I didn't want to touch it. It it looked like they'd had their way with it. Oh, okay, good. Because if you are right. If you are right, taking it would be a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, I wasn't completely sure it was mine. I mean, it could have been routed from anywhere. It was barely recognizable. And, and not in a gory way. It was like precision. It was like done with precision. But uh, yeah, it was, it was creepy how, how I'm not, precise it was. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. You mean like precision, like they opened it with a maker knife? Is that is that the kind of precision we're talking about? Yes. Like they opened it with a maker knife and they took out just the peanuts. Oh, that's weird. Without altering the popcorn at all. That's that's bizarre. Yeah, it was it was definitely alien technology. You know, that that reminds me of um a previous episode when I was telling you guys about how uh, I opened up a package of ice cream snickers and all the peanuts were missing. Do you guys remember that? I do. I do. Yeah. Could have, you know, that could have been early, early evidence of this same thing going on. That was decades ago. It's probably been going on for centuries. So I, I had a sneaky suspicion that this is what was happening. 
So I I did something a little more. I went I went a little deeper, Tanda. I happen to have, or I had, I don't have it anymore. I had one of those sat phones, you know, one of those cell phones that you could take anywhere on the planet and it, it oh, connects yeah. with the satellite. Yeah, it has like the little umbrella looking dish with it. Uh, no, it, it's just got a really thick antenna. It's, it looks like a giant finger. But those things have GPS tracking, okay? And so, if, you know, it's in case you lose it. You know, it's just like an iPhone, but older technology. So I sent it across country knowing that that was probably my best chance at them taking it. And you can track that thing in active time. And because it's a sat phone, it doesn't matter if it's near a cell tower. You can track it by satellite. Well, it took a couple days. But on day six, I noticed that it was in the upper stratosphere. Man. Wait, you're the and did it come back? Did it? Did you ever track it back down, or did you just lose it? No, it left the it left the planet. It's gone. Okay, they took it off world. Hold on, GPS does not. Well, maybe it does know. Uh, al- uh, altitude. GPS works by satellite, Tom. Yeah, it doesn't know altitude. Yeah, it does. Damn it! How do you think planes work, <laughs> <All right>. Tom? <laughs> Planes? Yeah, planes are at altitude. They track them. You sharpen them up and you push them down the board. That's it. The planes, the planes that fly, Tom, that you you ride on to get from. You the- should not. You should not throw your planes. They'll break immediately. Airliner, air airliner, Tom. Talk about airliner. I'm not believing any of this though. Don't you think? Don't you think? I can explain all of the postal issues in like with like two variables inefficiency and potentially incompetence now i'm not mad at the postal office they do a fine job i love my my mail lady she's great but uh, you know it's uh i'd blame it on the unions before i blame it on the uh aliens no well what if the aliens are unionized do you ever think of that oh man yeah oh man yeah oh man we're in trouble that's, a, that's exactly what I'm... T- haven't you ever thought about how these aliens are so organized? Everything's so coordinated? They gotta have a union. That's true. That's true. I think you're right. I think you've convinced me. I Like, aliens uh, is not very plausible. Unionized aliens? Uh, you're making a lot of sense. You're, you're saying a lot of things that make a lot of sense. I mean, the other thing which I think is the dead giveaway, all the cattle mutilations have stopped. You notice that? Like they don't you don't hear about that anymore. There's no more cattle mutilations anywhere, but all of a sudden all the packages are missing. Where's the beef, PJ? That can't be a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, where's the beef? That's exactly my point. That's it. They've moved on. They've moved the aliens moved, are uh, are kind of like it's the equivalent of being vegan. I guess so. But yeah. now vegan thing- union aliens this is a big problem. Vegan union aliens are stealing our packages and diverting them. There's there's nothing worse than vegan aliens. I got to tell you, I, I can't think of anything. Yeah, because there's, there's no meat in a fiddle-faddle. You know, not one of the presidential candidates talked about this last term. Not one of them brought this up. Uh, I, I, think they're, I think they're missing the ball here. I think, um, I don't know. It. Good know. union jobs was mentioned a lot of times. 
That's true. By one guy, not the other guy. I, I think we're, I we're, we're, we're kind of getting off topic here. Why are they taking the yeah. packages? That's that's what we need to figure out. Because maybe if we could figure out why they're taking them, we can actually stop them from taking the packages. I mean, they're obviously they're looking for something. I mean, I, I I'm just I'm. Do you guys have any right, ideas? But if we if we stop them, all right. Let's let's pretend for a minute we have a solution. We stop them from taking the packages. Right. right? You right. with me so far? Yep. They're just gonna take something else ring doorbells they're just gonna steal all the ring doorbells well yeah but the ring doorbells have a camera in them don't they yeah but i'm sure they have cloaking devices why wouldn't you have a cloaking device if you're an alien like that'd be the first thing i would invent as an alien look i i don't care about ring doorbells okay they could take all the ring doorbells they want i want my evaporus to show up on time when i order it that's what i'm trying to say like I get a ring doorbell any day of the week, but that Evaporust only goes on sale like twice a year. You want to talk about mystical, magical I mean, Evaporust is it. I don't know. It's possible that they are just confused. They are just trying Who? to figure us out. And so they thought, if we see what it is that they're getting delivered to their, pack, to their houses, by stealing these packages, we can figure out how humans work. And then they get some Evaporust and they're like, what is this? I don't get it. What is it? And then they get a box of odd pieces of sandpaper, and it's just confusing them. I think we should let it happen. I think we should keep them guessing. I mean, based on those two data points, it sounds like we're a culture that um, is very anti-rust and uh, metal corrosion. I think, I think that would throw them off. I think this is a good plan. We should all just order... 10-pound boxes of sandpaper and 5-gallon buckets of evaporust. And they'll just leave us alone. I think that naturally they'll just be like, this is useless. So, so basically your, your plan is to order multiples of everything and then whatever they don't take we'll eventually get? No, no, we don't want to get it. We want them to get it. That's the ploy. All right, so then we need to start ordering things that they'll get sick of. That's, that's what I'm thinking. We need to order stuff that nobody wants. Like what? Like those imitation tools that keep getting advertised on Facebook and Instagram. Nobody wants those. You know what? They'll get those. They'll be like, these are garbage. These people don't know how to make anything. And then they will underestimate us and we will be able to conquer them. I think that's the move. Yeah. We need to order like 10,000 of those imitation tools. Invitation tools? What'd you say? The imitation tools. Ah, imitation. Not not invitation. We're not we're not inviting oh. them here. They're already here. We well, in a way, in a way, that's what we're talking about doing. Oh, they are already here. You're yeah. right. They're uninvited. How do we how do we uninvite them? That's let's get working on that. Uninvitation tools. We need to order some uninvitations. About ten thousand boxes. I bet I bet we could get those at. Uh, who's that print company that's always advertising that they'll send everywhere in the world? You guys know what I'm talking about. Fred's, Fred's House of Print. Vista Print. Vista Print. Yeah, Vista Print. Yeah, Vista Print. They'll ship anywhere. We need some uninvitations from Vista Print. They've always got a coupon. I'll send some to you, PJ, and you can send some to me, and then, and then we'll both send them to Tom, and then we'll send them to Tom, and then you collect them all up, and then send them, send them back. Yeah, that's if they get to you. I'll send you something. And you can just you just send it to PJ, and then uh, and we'll just keep sending it around this triangle until it disappears. That sounds like a plan. 
I actually don't even think it's going to make it to to me or Tom Tanda. As soon as you send it, I think they're going to take it because you're you're at like ground zero down there. They're they're like they're big down there in Mexico and small. They're big ones and small ones both. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm at big like there's a lot of them down there. There's you know, oh yeah yeah. All right, so that's the plan. We'll we'll reconvene next week. <laughs> that was totally ridiculous.